All right, good morning, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Proverbs 9, that's where we'll be this morning. Proverbs 9. Busy day today. Um, after the second service, um, after you have your little lunch, if you get a chance to do that, we'll be meeting. If you want to participate at 145 at the courthouse for our uh, life chain, it's a nationwide stance against abortion. Um, we are uh, we kick it off. We do the prayer and do the instructions and all for the for the protest and get the signs handed out and all. So we'll be meeting at the courthouse here at 145 if you want to join us for that. It starts at 2 then uh, and then goes until 3 o'clock. You stand quietly in prayer. You don't engage anybody. You just stand quietly in prayer for the entire time. So um, we've been doing this for Jenny and I for over 30 years, this church for over 22 years. So it's just uh, very much a part of us and um, very blessed to be a part of this uh, event. Uh, and then later on tonight, uh, sorry, that's coming up, but tonight uh, at 7 o'clock, you've got two choices. We have prayer here at the church. I'll be here for the prayer. Jenny's going to the FCA, uh, Fellowship for Christian Athletes Field of Faith. That'll be taking place tonight at the Bearcat uh, Campus uh, Arena there. And uh, our, our guys will be doing the worship forum and all. So um, you can join them for that at 7 o'clock or come here for prayer, whichever or or whatever else you had planned. Potluck, uh, uh, October 8th, uh, fried chicken for that. And then uh, men's breakfast is October 21st. And I think, yeah, harvest party. Oh, did I bring the sign-up sheet? I probably didn't bring it. I made it. I printed it. I set it on the counter. I mean, the effort was there, everybody. Yeah, we can sign up. Just, just think about what you want to do for the harvest party, and then you'll be ready, ready. And I made it really tiny to sign up, so you had to t- write tiny words. So anyway, you can sign up for that. That's coming up. I think that's it. Yeah, busy month. Let's pray, and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning in Proverbs 9, as Solomon teaches us more about wisdom and its availability. I pray that you give us ears to hear. As she cries out and asks for the simple to come to her, we want to be those folks that respond, that choose to hear her. And so, God, I pray that you'd um, just speak to our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Solomon continues his allegory of wisdom being uh, this woman that's crying out constantly and is preparing, has the gift of hospitality, um, has not just some food, but really good food to eat, you know, has gone the, the extra mile, you know. We have family dinners at our place once in a while, and sometimes it's hot dogs and hamburgers, and other times it's something a little more involved. And uh, this, uh, this wisdom uh, is very much into the gourmet, very much into the uh, giving it her all and, and the best. And now, it is an allegory, and it isn't something that you can actually see or physically go to. Wouldn't that be nice, you know, the, the wisdom store? Well, I guess we have it. I mean... But it's, it's not literal. And Solomon's just trying to explain to his son or whoever reads this, including us, that it's very much available. And it's not hard to understand. And there's nothing bad about it. And it's only for your benefit. And it's delicious, you know. And it's going to give you everything you need. And then some. Not only is it, uh, you know, a sustenance, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a burst of flavor. You know, it's an amazing uh, color to your life. And hopefully that we understand that, but it is a choice. It is a choice. In verse 1 of chapter 9, wisdom has built her house. She's hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. 
She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. First thing we see here in these first three verses is that she's very well prepared. She's open. She's got everything set. The table is set. It's not a surprise to her when we come to her door. Wisdom's available, and it's very established. It has seven pillars, a number of completions. Some have gone on to try to explain what the seven pillars of wisdom are, and I think that's a stretch. The Bible doesn't tell us that. It's just people feel the need to, to figure it out. The idea is her, her house is built. It's not a tent. It's a, an established house. It's got seven pillars. It's very stable. It's sturdy. It's going to stand the test of time. It'll be there. It's always there, and it's a place that you can always go to. She's slaughtered her meat. She's taken the time to prepare the food. Fresh, good, you know, the best. She's mixed her wine. Some people don't understand that. Uh, it's not like wine like we have. It's nothing like wine like we have. You don't go, they didn't have bottles of wine at 3 to 6% alcohol. It was much, much different. They'd add spices to it. They'd add fragrances to their wine, and then they'd mixed it, either a 3 to 1 or a 5 to 1, and in some cases, 20 to 1 ratio with water is the idea is to, first of all, sterilize the water so you can get hydrated without having dysentery or whatever. But, um, but beyond that, it, get, it, it brought a wholesomeness to it, you know, a desire for it. I, my kids, I'm like, you know, we go to Casey's too much, but we go to Casey's and and I'm always running in for a quick slice of pizza or something because that's our go-to. They can all tolerate that. They don't like McDonald's and they, they really don't like the other stuff. So we go there. And, what do you want to drink is the question, you know. And, of course, Mariah, without fail, just water. You know? And Bo's like, oh, I hate water. Well, that's the idea, you know. It's like, yeah, water's great and it's really good for you, but can I get a Propel or can I get something with some, a little Gatorade Zero or something? Just something with some flavor in it, please. Well, that's the idea. She's mixed her wine um, and you think about that, just that getting it all together and all prepared, it's all mixed, it's the best, just like Jesus when he turned the water into wine, you know, and they're all like, oh, this is the best. It's the best flavor. It's the most wholesome. It's the best of the whole, of the whole festival here. I can't believe that he's waited till this long to bring it out. What an amazing host. She's an amazing host, wisdom is. She gives you the best. It's wholesome. It's flavorful. It's it's not bland and boring, you know. Here's wisdom, bread and water. It's all you need, you know. It doesn't have to be like that, you know. She's furnished her table. She sets a table. That's a lost art. It is a lost art in our society. That is losing. Grandma, and, and maybe you, I don't mean to throw you out, um, but it's, it's, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter are when we set the table. You know, we set it. It's a setting. It's not a, you know, a, a, a red Solo cup with plastic silverware sticking out the top and a stack of napkins, you know, kind of thing. It's just kind of how we set things up here for your potlucks. But it's kind of hard to set a table for that many people. She sets the table. She takes time to make sure that the salad forks on the outside and the dinner fork, that's not how it was, but you get the, you get the point. You know, we actually had a, a group called Pioneer Kids way back when JC was a little guy, and we would do that. It was like a equivalent of church Boy Scouts, and they've since changed it to Trail Bosses and all these different kinds of groups that you can do or whatever. Anyway, one of the badges was to set a table, and so we learned how the forks go on the, you know, they go on the, well, better, 
left, and then the knife, and the edge faces the, the plate, and the, and the spoon is next, and the fork is on top of the napkin. Usually, unless you have a steak knife, it goes along the top, and you do all those things. And you ask anybody, you know, young people today, it's like, you set a table? They're like, and there's a pile of whatever thing. You're gonna, that's, I think you're going to need all that, and there's the pile, you know, kind of thing. There's, no, there's a way to set it so that it's appealing. There's a way to take food and, and to what they call plate it. And some of you know what that is, some of you don't. But to, to, to present it in an appetizing way, it still has all the nutrition it would have if he had thrown it across the room at them, but it doesn't have to be like that. It can be presented and plated properly. She does that. She sets the table. It's pretty. It's beautiful. She takes the time for excellence in this wonderful meal that she's prepared, wisdom. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Tell everybody, invite everybody, bring them all in. And here's where um, I want to move to Matthew 22. Jesus gives us another parable, similar. He says in verse 2 of 22, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. It's an invitation. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies to destroy the murderers and burned up their cities. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Not a perfect comparison, but very similar picture. To come to Christ is an invitation. It's offered to all. And everybody has their excuses and their reasons for not doing it now or ever. That's what I hear most of. I don't believe in that stuff. Or I'm not ready yet. I'm going to wait. Both are foolish responses. Both are responses of the simple. The wise person eagerly accepts the invitation. And when wisdom cries out in the streets, it, it's amazing that there would be some that would say, no, I'd, I'd rather not have any wisdom. Of course, they don't say that out loud, but when it comes to God's word, which is wisdom, when it comes to God himself, when it comes to Jesus Christ, who is wisdom, and there's no wisdom outside of him, and the invitation is given for those to, to embrace him and to embrace what he taught and to embrace his word and let it change you from the inside out, It seems to be a no-brainer, but it is a a decision that has to be made. In verse 4, it says, this is what the girls cry, these maidens, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. You don't have to be that way. It's a decision. It's a choice. You've got to choose to be healed. I love that song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. It is a decision you have to make. 
It is a song you have to sing. It's a humble thing to have wisdom look at you from, or Jesus to look at you and say, you're going to need me to get into heaven because you're not good enough. You haven't attained. You haven't done the right things. Your sins have separated you from me and from access to everlasting life. You're going to need me to get in. For me to accept that is to humble myself before Jesus Christ and say, I agree with you on that. I agree I haven't met the criteria for heaven. I agree that I, I need someone to get me there because no matter how much I try, even if I was perfect from here on out, there's nothing I can do about the past sins I've made that have separated me. You see? There's a humbling that has to take place in a person's heart to accept and to hear this cry, first of all, and to know that it's, they're speaking to me, not to somebody else. It would be easy to walk by and hear, you simple. I don't know who she's talking to. You know, must be them. Every time I study the Bible, I have to guard my heart about that, especially when I'm going to teach. Oh, boy, they're going to like that. They're going to need that. I hope so-and-so hears this. Or I don't do that, but God's like, eh, I'm not talking to them right now. I'm talking to you. Still talking to you, J.D. I'm still crying out to you. I'm still telling you where you need to come in and eat, you know. You haven't attained. You're not co-host, you know. It's important to know that. It's a choice I have to make. I have to choose to hear God's word for myself and not for other people. I have to choose to receive it into my life and to apply it as personally as I can and not looking for it to work in someone else's life. I'm not the co-host. Peter had an extreme personality, didn't he? I don't know if you ever noticed that about him. If you look at his character, he's a very extreme person. I mean, he is all in all the time. He's either all wrong or he's all right. He's never like halfway, you know, and I like that, which is what makes him such a great leader. You know, once he's on the right track and following Jesus, he's the one with his wife who gets crucified upside down for martyr, to be a martyr. He's all right all the way to the end, you know. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Who does that? Who does that? A simple person does, you know. I so identify with that. When I heard the call of Jesus Christ for the first time, he'd called many other times, but I couldn't hear. When I heard him call me out, I went all in. I was too stupid to ease my way into this Christianity thing. I couldn't just kind of say, well, yeah, I'll go to a Bible study and see what it's all about. I, gotta, I, wanna check, I don't want to check my brain at the door. I just went, <laughs> and I jumped into this Christianity thing. Absolutely headlong. Fell in love with Jesus Christ. What a great place to be, you know. Just immediately leaves his nets and go. That's an extreme situation. He's decided to follow Jesus. He, it's a, it, it was a physical thing. Wisdom cried out to Peter while he was fishing. He says, I need you to change what you're doing and to immediately follow me. And he immediately did. Every single Sunday needs to be like that for us and for me. Every time I come to God's word, I need to be ready to hear him say, I need you to immediately stop what you're doing and immediately start doing this instead. 
immediately and be extreme enough to say, absolutely, knowing whom you've heard it from. Jeremiah 13, 17, kind of a funny cross-reference, but I mean, odd, different. But if you will not hear, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. An interesting verse, isn't it? If you will not hear, that's a choice again. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet longing for Israel to return to the Lord, wanting them to repent and return. But if you will not hear, it doesn't change my feelings towards you. It doesn't change my relationship. It just means, first of all, Jeremiah is very much alone in that, at that time and weeps for those, not feeling like I can't believe I'm left behind and they're moving forward without me, but I'm going on without them. And the whole place is being taken captive because of their willing or unwillingness to hear and to listen. Wisdom cries out. The Bible cries out. God's word cries out. Jesus cries out. His Holy Spirit is constantly crying out. Follow me. Decide to follow me. Choose to follow me. Today, now, immediately. A lot of people have said they've made that decision, but their life doesn't reflect that decision. And that has to be the case, which is the thrust of James's book or letter to the believers. Look, I know you decided to follow Jesus, but your, your life should look like it. There should be a life full of repentance, a life that looks like someone's following Christ, someone who's leaving the world behind and not dragging it along with them into this relationship with Jesus. They've actually... They've left the nets. Can you imagine if Peter said, can I bring my nets on this trip? No. They're of no use to you for what we're about to do. We're going to go capture men. We're going to fish for men, not for fish. And you can't throw nets over them, Peter. You're being ridiculous. Leave them. You're not going to need them. There's a very spiritual thing that takes place. We'll move into that here in a minute, I think in the next section here, but... There's a difference between understanding Christ in the ways of the flesh or in this world or in this materialism that we operate in, which is all that this is. And then there's a spiritual relationship with Christ. And I don't want to get too far out there, but it's the spiritual that matters. The physical changes constantly and either before you or against you that day. It makes no difference what Mondays are like. The spiritual implication is you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You've decided to follow him. You're going to live for Christ, and you're going to be the Christian in whatever circumstances Monday brings to you. Maybe you won't have to work that hard on Monday to be a Christian. Maybe you're going to have to work extra hard on Monday to be a Christian. Maybe it's going to take very a lot of diligence on your part to stay in that place of prayer of representing Christ well, and maybe it'll be just a wonderful break from the pressures of this world, and you just walk. It's beautiful, you know. Makes no difference. Spiritually, the decision has to be made. In verse 7, he moves on to a different group, verses 7 through 9. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. 
Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. There's two kinds of people. Some that want to hear wisdom and some who don't. Some have a hard time with what Solomon's trying to teach here. I don't know that it's that difficult. I think we try to maybe nitpick it to death. He's just saying, when someone is in the process of scoffing me, it might be prudent of me to wait till a different time to share the truth with them because they're not able to hear. They're not ready to listen. Maybe they are. Maybe this is the moment, you know. I've had arguments with the guy who led me to the Lord, and he pressed on and persevered. And so maybe I wasn't scoffing, though, and I wasn't never considered him. I never was angry with him. I just thought my point was as valid as his. And that's different. This is someone who's willingly not interested in Jesus Christ, willingly not interested in wisdom, and you're there trying to plant or sow seeds of wisdom into their life, and it's, it's just not going to take. So there's some prudence there that needs to take place, Solomon says. Even Jesus warned us not to cast our pearls before swines, lest they turn and rend you. He never said, if they reject the gospel when you go into that city, try harder. He just said, kick the feet off, dust off your feet and move on to the next town. There might be some, maybe that town will come around later on, but for now, the fields are white for harvest. Now you ought to be led by the Spirit on that. When is the time to push a little bit or a little bit more? And when is it time to back off with prudence, the leading of the Spirit, and come at it a different way at a different time? That's up to you. That's how um, well we're warned here by Solomon. You don't have to beat your head against a, a wall, you know. When and how to minister God's truth is subjective. Here's what I mean. The gospel, wisdom, is objective. There is no difference. It never changes. That's what objective means. It's not subject to emotions or feelings or the temperature of the room. But how and when you minister that gospel that's objective is subjective. How you do it can come in many different ways. It can be over coffee. It can be right here. It doesn't change. The gospel doesn't move. It doesn't uh, fluctuate between people. But how it's presented or when it's presented is very different. In Matthew 13, verses 10 through 15, it's a long cross-reference. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He hadn't up until this point. He hadn't moved into stories, allegories, trying to explain the truths of God and the kingdom of God. In the, in the form of something that maybe they could understand, or at least he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. His desire is for us to just hear the plain truth and to receive it. But they've grown dull of hearing. They can't listen to the plain old boring word of God anymore. I need something a little more. Tell me a story, you know. So he tries stories, and they're still not getting it. They're still not receiving it. They're still not taking it into their lives. It's a, it's a funny thing. Scoffers and wicked people, they don't want it. We will not have this man rule over us. Verse 10. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied. And years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you will bear it alone. The wisdom that cries out and the wisdom that's offered to us is for you. It is for you. And you applying it to your life may affect other people. There may be collateral blessings because you're following the word of God. There may not be. Just know that the wisdom is for you. The first thing Peter did when he heard wisdom cry for the first time was to immediately leave his nest and follow. It's a very simple task that Jesus asked him to do. He didn't give him a long dissertation on what it meant to follow him. He didn't explain to him the ins and outs of ministry. He didn't dump all that on him. He says, Peter, you've got one thing and one thing only you have to do today. You have to make a decision as to whether you're going to stay with your nets or you're going to start walking with me. That's all I'm asking you to do to start this walk with me now. Very simple. All Peter had to do was move his foot towards Christ and begin to walk with him. That's it. And as he began to do that, Peter immediately begins to get healed from his worldly mindset. Now he backslides and goes back and forth. That's, That's just how we grow, unfortunately. He goes back to his nets and several things. We'll get into that here at this section, but... He begins to walk, and as he begins to walk with Jesus, he begins to get healed of what he thought was the most important thing, what he thought his life purpose was. That's to catch fish, to sell fish, to feed people, to feed my family with the money that I raised. He thought that was it. And Jesus says, no, I've got something far more valuable for you to do. I want you to immediately leave your nets and follow me. All right, and he did. Now, he's the same Peter as he was two steps ago, except he's had his first act of obedience and is starting to walk with Jesus, which is the only thing he's going to have to do for the rest of his life is when Jesus tells him to do the next thing, for him to do the next thing like he did that first thing. This isn't a hard walk with Christ. It isn't difficult. He may ask us to make more difficult choices and more separation in our life or more all-in moments for us. But it's as simple as saying, yes, I will do exactly what you told me to do. The, the answer never changes. Our response, our responsibility never changes. It's just, yes, I'll do the next thing. Yes, I'll do the next thing. And pretty soon you find yourself far, far away from that worldly, fleshly person that you used to be. And you're closer and closer to him. Many people get frustrated on this walk, and Peter did too. Jesus dies, resurrects, all these things, even after he's seen Christ, not ascended, but resurrected, he still decides, let's go fishing. Let's go back 
to the place where Christ called me from. And of course, Jesus meets him there as well. Peter in the flesh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 22 through 24. Then Peter took him, Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. He had just disclosed that he was going to be crucified. Peter says, absolutely not. He's all in. (laughs) No. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, and here's why. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You're concerned still with the things of men, even though this is a spiritual thing. The most important thing that's going to happen in human history is me dying on the cross. And I said that was going to happen, just like I told you and asked you to come walk away from those nets. I'm telling you this is the next thing that has to happen, and now you're telling me that I'm wrong. Not willing to receive that into your life, not willing to accept the fact that Christ knows what he's talking about. That's what a fleshy Christian does. That's what a carnal Christian does. They're saved. Peter's saved. He knows the Lord. He's following the Lord. He just didn't like what he said next. That's not going to happen. Far be it. I'll defend you. It's not. Peter treated it like it was a failure or a mistake of some kind. No, no, no. You're not thinking spiritually, Peter. You're not thinking of eternal things. You're thinking of the immediate. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You too are going to die. You too are going to be self-sacrificed. The thing that Peter told me not to do is the very thing I'm going to ask him to do and the very thing that I can see in the future, Jesus says, is going to happen to him. He will be martyred. Satan's asked to sift you like wheat, Peter, just like he's sifting me. He wants to sift you and he wants to sift us too. Is anybody being sifted right now by Satan? Some more than others. That's a hard thing. Most of us just want the sifting to end. I understand that. I was working in my berry patch by myself yesterday, pulling out all the weeds that had grown up in it and all, and just took some time to, and I, I don't care whether I get the job done. This is more like me just standing with the bushes. It gives me an opportunity to eat raspberries is what it really does. And so I just eat and I lop big giant weeds in there, you know. And God just really impressed on my heart as I, you know, I prayed while I'm doing those things. And, and I eat raspberries while I'm doing that thing. And one thing he impressed on me is you're just going to have to comfort people through this time that we're going through and are going to go through. It's going to get hard. It's going to get harder. I don't, I don't know that it's ever going to be a reprieve from it. I don't know that we ever get back up this slope that we've slipped down as a, as a people group. I don't know that persecution isn't right around the corner for all of us as Christians, more so than we've ever experienced in this country. I, I truly believe that right here in the, in, the, in the Midwest, in the Midwest of the United States, this is... It's, it's, it's shrinked and, and, and shrunk and collapsed into this one spot where we are. I think we are still somewhat isolated and still somewhat protected and still somewhat able to do 
what we want to do for our Lord Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form that we want to do it. But I don't know that it'll always be like that. Well, I know it won't. It's collapsing. It's gone from the coast, and it's moved into past Colorado, and it's moved in past Pennsylvania and, and all. And I, I know it's not a geographic situation, but it feels like that. I feel like right where we are. And it's now here. Don't misunderstand me. And it's beginning here like it began there. The disease is here, you know. And so my, my prayer is always, as a, as a pastor, as a shepherd, besides just taking care of myself and my immediate sheep near me, what do I do for how do I serve all those right? You've got to comfort them through this and encourage them in the truth. But you can't take it away. You can't move it and change the situation that's about to happen. These things must take place, he tells us. They must. So, throughout whatever you're going through now, or will be going through in the future, this Bible study is for that very purpose. Wisdom cries out and doesn't care about the situation or the circumstances you find yourself in. Wisdom is there for you to take and to help you navigate and navigate well through whatever trials, tribulations, or whatever comes your way. It's there for you. But it's for you, as he just said. The wisdom is for you to take. It's going to help you. And everybody has to choose to drink from that well of wisdom, you know. And let them change and let them be. At least the believers we want to be. We read about martyrs. We read about all these Saints of old, and we find ourselves, boy, if I, I don't know if I could ever, or if I was in that situation and all. And I pray to God you never are. You know, I don't wish that on anybody. I don't think I, I want all of us to die peacefully in our sleep. I don't know that that's how it's going to happen, though. I do know this, that every martyr says, that I've read anyway, says no matter how fearful or scared I was up until that point of, Except or you know denying Christ or re- renouncing Christ, when I got to that place where the choice was to be made, grace met me there. The Lord met me there. What I couldn't do maybe five minutes before, I was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do at that very moment, even though the idea of what was going to happen to me if I didn't renounce Christ was horrific. God met me there, and I was able to. He, by his strength, I was able to carry on and So I want to encourage you in that. Maybe it seems overwhelming. Some of you may have just started your walk with Jesus and to begin to act out and to walk with Christ in the midst of your family alone, of unbelievers or of always believers. They're almost as bad. To live a spirit-filled Christian life amongst a dead religious group of people is almost as bad as walking amongst unbelievers. They're all physical. They're all external. It's all a show as far as their Christianity goes. But when you step in and begin to walk in the Spirit, that can be as overwhelming as going into your workplace and beginning to declare Jesus Christ as Lord to all these unbelievers. It's just as bad. To think of that may feel overwhelming, but grace will meet you there. The Holy Spirit will give you the intestinal fortitude, the guts to do what you know you want to do, should do, will make a way for you to do it. In John chapter 4, verse 24, 
Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It isn't a physical thing. Part of what comes up for me when I'm studying this is when you read commentators from early church fathers, I'm going to step in it now, when they try to describe the seven pillars earlier on in the chapter and they begin to tell you what the meat means and the bread means and that's communion and these seven are the seven sacraments and a lot of the early fathers believed that's what she's talking about. So since I'm smarter than the early fathers, see? No, but I can still take, I don't, I, I mean, I care what the early fathers believed, but I still have to take what they believed and carried out in their life and compare it to the scriptures. I don't care who they are. What they did and didn't do was not in the passages. It's not in the scripture. I judge what they do in their walk with Jesus by the scriptures. We are forever throughout the, throughout the Bible, God is forever trying to teach people it's not about the physical. It's not about the blood of bulls and goats. It's not about, it's not about the things you think it is. It's not an external physical... God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. It's not whether you did the seven pillars of the faith. No. It doesn't matter about this, that, or the other thing that you place such importance on. It's about believing on Christ and him crucified. It's belief. It's faith. It's things you can't grab, touch, or, or do. It's things that happen inside with your mind. To be born again isn't something you physically see happen to somebody. It's something that just takes place. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so when they try to describe these seven pillars as the seven sacraments, or they talk about the meat, the wine, and and everything is is communion and, and all these things, that's a stretch. And it's the same problem Israel had. Can you just follow me through the desert? We can, but we'd rather make a calf. It's just easier for us. We want to see the calf. I don't want you to make a calf. I want you to spiritually follow me in the desert. We need a calf. And as Christians, we can do the same thing. Being born again is fluffy. Being, being, walking in the spirit is, is fluffy. That's too, I, I, need, I need a calf. Give me something to do. Give me a task. Give me a list. Give me... Give me seven pillars that I can do, you know. No, I don't want you to have seven pillars. I want you to love me like a father, like a son loves a father, like a daughter loves a father. I want you to love me. Well, how can I show my love? By just doing what I ask you to do. By obeying me. Don't bake me a cake for Father's Day and be disobedient and sneak out at night every night for the rest of your life. I'd rather not have the cake and have you be home where I've asked you to stay and be because nothing good happens after 10 10 p.m., you know? I don't need that. I need obedience. So John chapter 21, verses 7 through 8, Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. This is when they're out fishing They've gone back to their nets. Everybody's followed Peter out to where Jesus called them from, and he's brought everybody, as a leader does, down with him. And Jesus is telling them to fish on the other side of the boat, just like the first time he saw him. 
And they find all these fish. And I want you to see Peter's response. He leaves the physical manifestation of God's blessing in their life. All the fish, all the boat, in the boat. It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. He just swam to shore. I don't care about the fish. I don't care about the blessing. I see him. He leaves the physical behind. And he follows that gut, that spiritual instinct. I need to be as close to my Savior as possible. Now, the other guys don't. The other guys are like, that's Jesus over there. That's great. Now let's get this blessing and get it to shore. And they ease their way to the shore with, I'm not leaving the fish. Peter's like, who cares about the fish? That's his way of telling us that he's here, that he's with us. And that's far more important to me to be in his presence than it is to have the fish. These fish stink to me. This is what he called me from. And the fact that I'm carrying 150 plus fish back with me saying, look at all the things you called me from. Thanks for giving me. Exactly what I wanted. Exactly what I hoped for. A successful business and successful fish. You know, successful fish. Oh, he immediately left his nets again. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you need to do that. You know, maybe I need to do that. That radical first time obedience at the just the sound of his voice. And you just do it. I don't worry about the ties I've got to cut or the, the things I've got to leave behind or I don't weigh the situation. Well, can he just wait a little bit while we get the fish to the shore? I just need to jump in and swim to him. It's spiritual. This world is going to grow strangely dim to us more and more as we get closer and closer to Christ. As we get closer and closer to his return, this world is going to seem strange like you've never felt strange before. We hear that all the time from the older saints. I don't even recognize this place anymore. That's right. It's being transformed. It is hell. We're seeing things that we thought would only take place in hell manifest itself here, now, all over, wherever we turn, wherever we see, whatever we listen to, there it is. He's everywhere. And that's not to put fear in us, but that's to cling to Jesus. That's to draw us close to him who overcomes to be focused. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, drying the net with fish. Now here's the thing. Well, they needed the fish. How are they going to eat? You do remember the story, right? What was already cooking on the fire by the time Peter showed up? Fish. He didn't need those fish. I didn't need to bring those fish so we could feed all 12 of us. Jesus already had the meal cooking. It was already ready over here. The fish is already here. I got, I got fish. I don't need your fish. I did the fish to show you that it's me over here. Peter did the right thing. He jumped in and swam and began to eat and partake with his Savior. We'll finish up with this. A foolish woman. There's competition with wisdom. There's a foolish woman, and she's clamorous. Loud, obnoxious. She is simple and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest place of the city to call to those who pass by who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. 
And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. There will always be that voice and always two of them. You know, wisdom says, come in here and on your straight path to wisdom. Sure enough, clamor woman is going to be yelling too. Hey, you simple one, stupid, going to church on Sunday morning, going to church on Wednesdays, following Jesus. The clamorous people will be out there as you go straight on your path. And it's up to you to stay on that course. I know the voice of whom I heard. I know who I'm following. And it's wisdom. And he calls us to that. But there is competition. And we have to tune our ears to hear our Savior's voice, to hear our shepherd's voice, and to tune out, or at least ignore, the temptation to get off that path that he called us to be on, the straight path, regardless. As you go through the scriptures, you're going to find many, many different people that tried to get and misrepresent God. They're not always obnoxious and loud and, and, and obvious. I think of the old prophet. The young prophet was told to give the prophecy, and when he returns, don't go the same way that you left. Go a different way, and I want you to come straight home. Go straight back. And on his way straight back from doing exactly what he said, the old prophet came up to him and said, young prophet, can you come into my house? He goes, now God's word told me to go straight. Yeah, but I'm too, I'm a prophet. God told me to have you come to my house. Okay. And he went in. He ends up dying from that decision. It's it's amazing who will try to get you off track. Be careful. It isn't always this loud, clamorous woman that's really obvious, you know. Satan doesn't always have a red suit on with pokey little horns and a funny little tail, you know. Sometimes he's cool with skinny jeans, you know. You don't even notice. Or a sundress for some of you guys. Watch it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom. You've given us wisdom. And that's to immediately follow you, to to hear your voice and your voice only, to stay straight on the path, regardless. To be ready in season and out of season, to give a reason for the hope which lies within us, to continue forward with you, not returning to our nets, not returning to what you've called us from this world, but staying true, close to you. I pray that you'd help us, Lord. Comfort us during these times as we move into what the rest of the world has been seeing for decades now as we begin to move into that phase. I pray that you'd help us to be bright lights, Lord. Shining, Lord. Salt in this this world, God. Good representatives of you. Strong ambassadors. Immovable people. Who are your saints, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.